0: with me to Luke chapter 1. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been going through our Christmas sermon series called An Unlikely Family Tree, and maybe some of you would want to rename that An Unlikely Christmas Series, um, because you'll know that it's been quite unique to say the least— Uh, We've been talking about the ancestry of Jesus. It's the biblical version of Ancestry.com. And we've been talking about, in particular, the women in the genealogy of Jesus. And so we've talked about Tamar. We've talked about Rahab. We've talked about Bathsheba. And this morning, we're going to wrap up this sermon series by talking about Mary. And what we've seen again and again in this sermon series is how God likes to use unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. And when you talk about Christmas, there's no other character in the Christmas story that gets quite the attention that Mary does. And a lot of you guys are probably thinking, finally, when you heard it was going to be Mary this morning, you're like, after the stories we've heard the last few weeks, uh, we finally get an easy one. Not so fast. Is it possible, is it possible that we think that way because we have so romanticized and dare I say sanitized the Christmas story that we miss how crazy it is. I mean, yesterday I went to, uh, with, with the family to Bush Gardens Christmas Christmastown. Uh, it was a Saturday before Christmas, so nobody was there. Uh, park was empty. Uh, sarcasm. And so we were walking past, you know, where the goats and the horses are, and you can just imagine the smell in your mind right now if you've ever been there. Uh, it's it stunk. And so we're walking past it, and Megan made a comment about it. I'm like, hey, babe, that's how the first Christmas would have smelled. Like, I'm a lot of fun at parties. I'm just like kind of trying to pick at it a little bit. But here's the deal. As we think about this story, we're talking about God entering into the world. And how does he do it? He's born to a poor young woman in a barn. (laughs) I mean, think about it. This is one of my favorite Christmas songs. It didn't make the cut today, unfortunately. Uh, It's called Labor of Love by Andrew Peterson. I love it because it's the most realistic Christmas song I've ever heard. Listen to these words. It was not a silent night. Okay, so we're off to a great start. Um, It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, every beat of her beautiful heart was a labor of love. You guys are like, Pastor Nate, any other Christmas things you want to ruin while you're at it? Like, but here's the deal. What we're going to see this morning as we consider the story of Mary is an incredible example of what faith looks like. Faith that is willing to trust God regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the consequences. But more than that, we're going to see that it was never Mary's intention, it was never her intention to draw attention to herself. But the point is always her son, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. So this is the main point that I hope you'll take away from the sermon this morning. It's very simple. We should worship the Son of God and the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That's what Mary's life pointed forward to. So let's take a look at this story together. We're going to study the story of the conversation between Mary and the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is what it says. And the angel departed from her. Let's begin this morning by talking about Mary's story. Mary's story. Mary has become, and for good reason, something of a hero in Christianity. but but what are we to make of Mary? You know, if you come from a Catholic background, there's a lot of really intricate theology wrapped around Mary and who she was. And I think, in reaction to that, sometimes as evangelicals, we tend to feel a little awkward about Mary because we don't want to go there, but we don't really know what to say about Mary. What do we make of Mary? Well, I believe we're going to see this morning that she is one of the heroes of the faith, an incredible example of what faith looks like. But Mary was never the point, Jesus was the point. The purpose of her life was to point to her son, Jesus Christ. So let's talk a little bit about Mary. First of all, she was young. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old, but in this culture, women were typically married as young teenagers. So think 12, 13 years old. She was from a small town, it's from Nazareth in Galilee. This is to the north of Jerusalem. It was not famous, it was not important, it was pretty backwoods. She was poor. We know this because in chapter two, when they offer an offering at the temple, they give the offering that you gave if you couldn't afford the normal offering. So to recap, we have someone who is young, poor, and from a backwoods small town. Doesn't exactly sound like a striking resume, does it? But in this sermon series, we have learned over and over again that God loves a good underdog story. God loves the kid that always got picked last in gym class. So if that's you, there's hope. Right, God loves to do that. And why does he do that? So that it's perfectly clear and obvious who should get the glory, who should get the credit. And it's always him. And maybe you can relate to Mary this morning, not in the details of this story because giving birth to the son of God was a one-time gig and all, but maybe you can relate to her in feeling insignificant and in thinking, what does my life really matter in the grand scheme of things? Does my life really make a difference? Maybe it's because of your age. Maybe it's because of your job or your income. Maybe it's because of where you're from. Because let's be real, y'all, Gloucester's a lot like Nazareth. (laughs) Most people, if they're not from here, they can't even say it right. Gloucester or Gloucester or whatever it is. Just say, it's right by Yorktown. I think I learned about that in U.S. history class in school. Okay, I know where that is. But God loves to show off his power and glory by working through the lives of ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his purposes. So as we keep going in Mary's story, we're going to learn a little bit about her son. Let's talk about Mary's son now. So one day, the angel Gabriel shows up in her room and starts talking to her. The Bible says she was, quote, greatly troubled. Always amused by that. Let me give you the Nate Weiss translation. She was freaked out. I mean, she reacted the same way you would if an angel showed up on this stage and started talking right now. She was understandably freaked out. And so the angel reassures her. He says, greetings, O favored one. That means you who have received God's favor and God's grace, the Lord is with you. He calms her fears. And then he gives her some news that is about to throw her whole world upside down. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. And he tells her essentially three things about this child. First of all, Mary, this will be your son, the son of Mary. He's going to be really a human being, flesh and blood. He's going to have your DNA. Here's something that's really interesting. As we're going to see in a couple of minutes, spoiler alert, Jesus doesn't have a biological human father. And so what that implies to me is that Jesus probably looked just like Mary. Think about it. We all talk about that, where you see a kid and you're like, oh, it looks just like you. Megan showed me a picture recently of her as a baby, and I would have thought it was Leah if she hadn't told me otherwise. She looks exactly like Leah. So people say that all the time. Some people say to our daughter, Hannah, who's doing a great job not making a peep, by the way. uh, Some people say to our daughter, Hannah, that she looks just like me. And I like to say, don't insult my daughter like that. But here's the deal. We talk about looking like our parents. I think Jesus would have looked like Mary. He really was her son, her boy but there's more to it than that because he was not just Mary's son. He was God's son. The angel says, this will be the son of God, the son of the most high. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that this baby in Mary's womb was not just her son. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. The big theology word for that is incarnation. That word means God becoming man. God taking on human flesh. The Bible claims this over and over again, that Jesus is God. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God himself entered into this world. And one of the things that I most love about Christmas time is that everybody is declaring that whether they know it or not. Another Christmas town story from yesterday. We're walking around and I could hear on the loudspeaker, Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. And I went, Thank you, Bush Gardens. You guys finally get it. Or you walk around Walmart and you'll hear lines like, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. We sing these Christmas carols, and I want to say to people when they're singing them, do you know what that means? Do you know what the significance of that is? If you really meant that, it would change everything about your life. If he really is the Lord, if he really is the incarnate deity, and he is. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God became one of us. But lastly, the angel told Mary that he would be the king The angel said, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That Jesus would be the promised Messiah, the long awaited king that we've been waiting for, who will come again one day and will rule and reign over a renewed heaven and earth where there will be no more sin and no more suffering. The Prince of Peace, who will restore everything that has been broken by sin. This is what the angel told her about her son. And so, Next time you hear Mary, did you know? This is what she knew, right? This is what she knew. Did she know that he was going to walk on water? I don't know. But she knew that this was the son of God who would be the king who would reign forever and ever. So now that she's received this news, how does she respond? We're about to see Mary's faith. About to see Mary's faith. First question she has is how will this be Since I'm a virgin, she knew how stuff worked, okay? Like, she knew how all this worked. She's like, "Uh, I don't know if that's possible. And what does the angel say? He says, the Holy Spirit will cause you miraculously to conceive a child apart from the normal way that that normally happens. That you are going to have a child without a biological human father. This is what we call the virgin birth, that Mary gave birth to Jesus when she was a virgin. And this is a miracle, and it's essential to Christianity. Man, let me give you two reasons why we talk about the virgin birth and why it matters, why it's so important. First of all, it's important because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. That hundreds of years earlier, the Old Testament prophets foretold that a virgin would give birth and he would be the saviour. Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, which means "God with us." This is all taking place in accordance with God's perfect plan, but there's even more to it than that. Why does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? Because it preserves the sinlessness of Jesus. One of the essential aspects of the gospel is that Jesus had to be sinless, that Jesus had to be perfect. If he had sinned, he could not have been our savior. But here's the problem. Every human being that's ever been born, except Jesus, is born into this world with the sin nature of Adam. Because Adam and Eve sinned, the first human beings, we are all now born into this world as sinners with a sin nature. So how could Jesus... Be a human being, but not be a sinner. Not have the human nature of sin. The answer is the virgin birth. Listen to what the text says. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. The virgin birth preserved the sinlessness of Jesus. So how does Mary respond to all of this? I mean, think about how crazy this is. The angel comes and says, you're gonna give birth as a virgin to God. What does she say? Verse 38, I love her response. I wanna spend some time here. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a beautiful example of what faith looks like. Faith that takes God at his word. Faith that says, I know that there could be difficult circumstances attending this. I know that there are consequences that could come, but God, I trust you no matter what. That's what faith looks like. And friends, we've talked a lot about Mary this morning, but now let's talk about you. Now let's talk about me. I want to move here from preaching to meddling, if that's okay. And if it's not, I'm going to do it anyway. I have the microphone. A lot of people will say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I have faith in Jesus. But when we really get down to it in our day-to-day life, it makes no actual difference in how we live our lives. Totally irrelevant. Sure, we might be willing to come to church every now and again and get some good advice from Jesus. We might even let him be an advisor. You can be my life coach, Jesus. You can be my therapist when I'm feeling sad, You can be my advisor or my consultant. I'll call you in to meet my spiritual needs. You're my spiritual service provider. But other than that, you stay over here. This is my life. I'm doing my thing. I call the shots. I decide what's right and wrong for me, but I'll call you if I need you. I love you enough this morning to be real with you. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's not following Jesus. That's using Jesus. True faith looks at God and says, I surrender. Your will be done, not mine. Jesus will not be added onto our life to give us a little boost when we need it. Jesus will be your whole life. That's what he's after total, unconditional surrender. Because think about it. Think about who he claims to be. He's claiming to be God in the flesh. The one who spoke and billions of galaxies popped into existence. The one who, moment by moment, is upholding every molecule in existence by the word of his power. The one who holds in his hand the eternal destiny of every human being that's ever lived. And you want him to be your advisor? This is God that we're talking about. He demands total and unconditional surrender. So let me tell you, this is what it means for you and me today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I refuse to sugarcoat this reality for you. Becoming a Christian means total and unconditional surrender to King Jesus. Becoming a Christian means taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following him. It means declaring that he is Lord and bowing the knee to him. It means that when Jesus speaks in his word, we listen. That Jesus gets to tell us how we live our lives, how we speak, how we act, how we think, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, who we can and can't sleep with. Nothing is off limits for King Jesus. Becoming a Christian means surrender to his lordship. If you want to follow him, count the cost, And if you are a Christian, let me ask you this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit is even now convicting you of areas in your life where you are holding back. Maybe there's a sin that you're clinging to. Maybe there's a step of obedience that God is calling you to take that you've been putting off. And if that's you, let me encourage you to learn to say along with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. So we've seen Mary's conversation with the angel. We've learned about her story. We've learned about her son, and we've learned about her faith. But lastly, I want to move forward in the story to learn about Mary's Savior. Precisely, I want to move forward nine months and eight days. So Mary gives birth to Jesus. And eight days later, according to the law, they went up to the temple at Jerusalem. And when they were there, they meet this devout old man named Simeon. And Simeon rejoices when he meets Jesus because he knows exactly who he is. And this is what Simeon says to Mary. This is fascinating. Listen to these words. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother Behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Leave that up for a sec. Verse 35, the part in parentheses. And a sword will pierce through your soul also. There's two things there that's fascinating to me. First of all, what's the sword? And second, what do you mean by also? Who else is going to be pierced here? Mary? That must have stuck with her throughout the rest of her life. What does he mean by that? This is cryptic. I mean, this is a young woman. She knows that this child is the Son of God and the everlasting King. But what is this sword? Well, she would find out 33 years later, right back there in Jerusalem. She watched her baby grow up and become an incredible man. She watched as his fame grew and as he taught the crowds of thousands and thousands and performed all kinds of miracles. But the sword was coming. The sword pierced through her soul at Calvary on the day when the nails pierced through her son's hands. Do you know that Mary was at the cross? John 19, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Mary stood at the foot of the cross when her son was being tortured and executed. And I think that only the mothers in this room can even, can even start to fathom how much pain she must have been experiencing in that moment, feeling like a sword was piercing through her very soul. But listen, in that moment, Mary's son was becoming Mary's savior. Mary made an incredible sacrifice in being the mother of Jesus, but it's nothing in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus made so that Mary could have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus died bearing the sins of all of his people so that we could be forgiven. And three days later, on the first Easter Sunday, he bodily rose from the grave, defeating sin and death so that all who would trust in him can have eternal life. You know, I wish I could have been there the first moment that Mary saw Jesus after the resurrection. Because as horrible as her grief was at the cross, when the sword pierced through her soul, Imagine her joy at the empty tomb when she saw him alive. And do you know where the last place Mary is mentioned in scripture is? It's in Acts chapter one, when she's with the rest of the disciples in the upper room praying. Mary's son had become Mary's savior, but now Jesus's mother had become Jesus's disciple. So friends, what does this mean for you and I today? What does all of this mean? As we're preparing to light the candles and sing in a few minutes, I want to leave you with two takeaways. First of all, trust in Mary's Savior. Trust in Mary's Savior. The story of Mary is intended to point us to the gospel. What does that word mean? Well, if you're new here to Coastal, the word gospel, that is what we're all about. That is the most important thing to us here at Coastal Church. Let me explain what I mean by the word gospel. Gospel. That word simply means good news. It's the good news about what God has done so that we could have a relationship with him. You see, there is a God who created this world and he created all of us and he made us with a purpose. He made us with the purpose of bringing him glory in our lives, reflecting him in the world. But all of us have sinned against God. We have disobeyed his law. And for that reason, what we deserve is God's punishment. The only right punishment for sin is death, both physical death in this life and eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. But God loves us so much, so much, that instead of leaving us in our sin and giving us what we deserved at Christmas, God became one of us. He entered into this world so that we could have eternal life. Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, he took on human flesh, being born at Christmas time to a virgin. He lived a perfect life, never once sinning, completely fulfilling the demands of God's law. He lived the life that you and I never could live. But he went to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus Christ died, bearing the penalty for sin that you and I deserved to pay, but we never could He paid for our sins on the cross. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, Jesus Christ came back to life again. He rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death, so that now whoever will turn away from their sin, will turn from doing life their way, turn from their old life, will believe the gospel, believe that it's all true, and will receive Christ into their life, surrendering to him, receiving him as Lord and Savior, will have eternal life. It's the promise of the word of God. Your sins will be forgiven. You will have eternal life. You will be in the presence of God forever in heaven and in glory. That's the gospel. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you want to talk more about how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please don't leave here today without doing business with God. If the spirit of God is working on your heart Come to Christ this morning. In a little bit, after we sing, we're going to have prayer team members. They're going to be up at the front. And after the service, I would invite you to come and speak with one of them. They're going to be wearing these lanyards that say, how can I pray? Come and speak with them. And they would love to pray with you and show you how you can respond to the gospel, how you can become a Christian here today. You can become a follower of Jesus. Please come and talk to one of us if that's you this morning. The last takeaway, and with this, I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. The last takeaway is this, worship God's son. Worship God's son. You know, when we were praying with the worship team before the first service earlier this morning, I prayed something and I said, it's been my prayer for this morning. I said, Lord, whether it's the first time that we're hearing this story or the millionth, I pray that it would still shock us pray that it would still amaze us. It would still stagger us. That God would become a man. That God would become one of us. That's amazing. My favorite Christmas verse is John 1, 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Just think about this for one moment. Meditate on this for one second. The almighty creator who formed the universe with his hands would spend nine months being formed in the womb of a woman. The word who spoke everything into existence had to be taught how to speak. The great I am who thundered his perfect law from Mount Sinai had to submit to sinful parents. The infinitely rich and famous God would live his life in poverty and obscurity. The bread of life and the fountain of living water would go hungry and thirsty. The God who is so holy that sinless angels can't even look at him would be tempted by the evil one. The God who lives eternally in perfect relationship of love within the Trinity would experience betrayal by his best friends. The light of the world would be crucified in the dark. The giver of life would die. That's what Christmas is all about. That God became one of us to save us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. You see, friends, this is only only slightly an overgeneralization, only slightly an oversimplification. Every other religion in this world basically is some form of this. Here is how you can get to God follow this path, keep these rules. Do this and eventually you can get to God. What makes Christianity utterly unique is this, that the message of Christianity is Jesus comes into the world and says, I am God and I have come to get you. Because of Christmas, we don't find our way to God. God finds his way to us becoming one of us to save us. That's the glory of the gospel. And that is the glory of Christmas. So what better way to respond to that reality than worship to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen?